welcome to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. First up today, I'm joined by show regular Vincent Harney, CEO of Anasaurian. Uh, Vincent, you're very welcome back. Good morning to you, Carol. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Vince, the last time we spoke, we were talking about um, the revaluation of properties post-COVID. And I think even when we were having that conversation, we knew it was quite premature to be having that conversation. Um, you know, six months on, where are we in terms of, you know, obviously the pandemic is not over, but we're certainly mm. hope that we're coming out um, the latter end of it. Where do we stand in terms of real estate? I, I think there's there's uh, quite a large um Gulf still in terms of what we think we know and what's actually happening. Um, uh, so, for example, I think uh, offices are only just we're just only starting to see people go back to work, and um, so from the investors I deal with, the the, the appetite for um, investing full time into offices is certainly you know taking a bit of a uh, a backseat. There, they, they might do it once if there's a bit more stability, and that's certainly affecting the the valuations because the way that a lot of these investors are looking at, they're looking at a long term gig on the offices, and what from their perspective, they're a bit nervous at the moment because everybody's talking about it, but not many people are doing it in terms of that full return to normality. So that's affecting the type of product they're investing in. Um, it, it might be quite interesting to know, Carol, uh, I did a recent CPD on um, this aspect and we, we were talking about a European angle where the guys, were, you know, the investors were actually looking to invest in stuff that you and me wouldn't think about. There's things that are top of the charts are things like data centres and, you know, virtually anything to do with residential accommodation is in the top 10. So, there's a, a there's a lot of refocusing of investment monies from commercial into more residential, which you you and I would both know ten years ago would be virtually unheard of. You know that that amount of money that they're sloshing around into residential. Yeah, there's there's been so many interesting trends that I definitely want to unpack some of them. You know, in terms of data centres. That actually doesn't surprise me at all. We've seen this move mm. towards logistics and data right. has grown as, as an asset class of its own. But also we're, we're seeing, if anything, the last two years has magnified the need and the importance of data centres. But yet, I, and I know we're talking about a European perspective here, but in Ireland, um, data centres are getting quite a bad rap. And in terms yeah. of our, our planning, particularly in the Leinster area, so... Yeah. I mean, do you have a perspective to offer on that? I mean, are we are we starting to villainize data centers the same way we did certain residential classes like build to rent in a way that will be ultimately destructive for our market? Um, potentially, because at the end of the day, um, we're, we're not Germany in a way. Germany's got like 60 plus million people on board. We've got 6 million. Um, so there has to be a sort of economy of scale on that, but that doesn't mean that you're not dealing with dealing with data centers on an international basis, Carol. So they could be based in Ireland for very um, lucrative and tax reasons rather than um, the pragmatism or the demographics of what they're dealing with. So there's a whole load of different factors you have to build in when looking at data centers. Um, yeah. But I, I agree with you, there could be a potential 
um, disruptive uh, effect of having those in the marketplace. Yeah, it, it seems to me that um, when when the general public are rallied, usually by the tone of media reporting against any asset class, you know, we always find some really big misconceptions at Correct. the of that. Always. Yeah. And um, this and, and that's one of the things around data centers. Um, but rather than kind of going too far into that, I would urge anybody who has an interest in this maybe to take a look at the work that Host in Ireland are doing. Um, so that's a body that is committed to putting out information, truthful um, and factual, real-time information about the data center sector in Ireland. And um, it dispels mm. some of the myths in terms of not just um, energy usage, but actually energy creation as well, you know, putting forward the the, the full story around energy creation and how these mm. data centres are actually bringing in some really important innovations to Ireland to capture some of the unused or underused resources that we have, you know, including wind energy and things like that. So that's, I, I think that's a really hot topic. So I would urge anybody who has an interest in it, to, to go look up Host in Ireland and see the work that that organisation is doing. Um, some some really some really interesting things. And when you get down to the facts, you'll realise that actually an awful lot of what we're reading in the media is just not accurate. And it's just not, you know, it, it's based on some very outdated concepts that have since been disproven. And, you know, that, that, that almost links us back to maybe some of the resistance that we're seeing on the residential side, because mm-hmm. obviously um, a huge push towards residential has gone into... Uh, social housing and also built to rent um, the, the private rented sector and the private rented sector similarly is coming up against um, huge criticism in Ireland huge pushback on, on every level um, so where you're you're speaking to investors how are yeah. investors receiving that um, I, I, I think they're trying to mollify the whole situation because as far as they see it, it depends what type of um, product you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a proper lifestyling and capturing um, BTR scheme, i.e. it's part of the community and it embraces the whole community, and they, they, they don't see there's any issues at all because um, the fact of the matter is they're providing something for the wider community. Okay, they're making money out of it for sure, but um, it's at no worse level than it would be if you went for a, a normal rental, I would say. In, in fact, you've probably got more enhanced value with the pri- uh, private rented sector ones than anything else. So I think there's a little bit of, uh, there's also a bit of what I call nimbyism, not in my backyard. They just, the, the thought of having um, a BTR scheme and a n- nice nice area of drum conjure doesn't really uh, hold any sway with the locals, but to, to be honest with you, it's all about um, density and demographics as well. Um, these schemes are, are required, you know, and they don't have to be what they're painted out to be. But I think people like to paint them out to demonise them. You know, I'm really glad that you brought up NIMBYism because it's something that I get criticised for calling out a lot of, of NIMBYism. But there is no doubt that this is right in Ireland. And in fact, just this morning, you know, only today in the last few hours, we've seen um, a Marion Road uh, apartment scheme being rejected on appeal. Um, And the interesting one there is that on board Panola actually come out and said the development would depreciate the value of nearby properties. Now, that's an outrageous reason to be pandering to Nimbyism. Because... Wherever we put new development, it is going to impact. And 
people automatically assume the impact is going to be negative. But actually, we don't know that with with new population, uh, bring in diverse populations, you're bringing in uh, the opportunities for new community businesses, um, new community centres, new initiatives that can actually drive value as well. So it's a very old fashioned reason to yeah. say that more equals worse. Um, and yeah. and I, I think it's just it happens that that one today was Marion Road. And, um, you know, similarly, we see that uh, permission for a 99 um, unit built to rent apartments is being challenged um, in Beaumont again today. You mm. know, these are we need we categorically need more supply right across the board. We need more of everything. So whether we're talking about. Um, on the commercial space, the logistics yeah. side, whether we're talking yeah. about data centres or whether we're talking about residential for social, affordable, yeah. private, private rental, private for sale. We need more of everything right now. Um, how do we overcome NIMBYism? And actually, the important question I want to put to you, Vince, is um, you're dealing with investors outside of Ireland. They are hearing mm-hmm. all of this. They're seeing all of these rejections. And for a scheme to be rejected on the basis that it might devalue neighbouring properties. Is that something that impacts on the decision-making of whether to invest in Ireland or another jurisdiction? For, for sure. I mean, uh, I, th- I think they they would have take a very, very dim view of that sort of um, attitude. Um, investors want to get stuck in. Um, to be honest, they're very interested in Ireland anyway because it's got such a, a great um, corporation tax rate. I mean, that's let's let's face facts. That is attractive. And no, um, not that everything has been uh, streamlined across. It's being streamlined, but uh, it's an advantage. I think there's still an advantage at the moment. There's, there's certain rules that are in place that will give give an advantage. But, but we, uh, that's just one facet. The, the other facet is you've got a fairly stable population and some, you know, it's something that you can pin your hat on. I also think they um, they consider that the, they can increase the value over time on the assets that are being bought in Ireland. So, And that's been proven by past performance as well. Um, but as, you, as you're saying, if there's, if there's negative trends, they're just not going to invest. There's other places in the EU to invest in, um, and they'll just switch their funds. Well, um, I should say at this juncture as well, uh, Cal, one of, one of the big things that um, everybody's talking about, but it's actually part of the checklist for investors, is the green building ticket. So, um, and it's not just a nice to have, it's, it's a got to have with a lot of them, which is, the, the other facet that quite a lot of the things, particularly Amber Planola sort of like miss the boat on, is um, the, this is what people are looking for and it's got longevity. Because what you have to appreciate is these investors are looking for the long term. They're, they're not looking for 10 years. They're looking for 25, 30 years plus, right? And they need to make sure that everything's sustainable. in the, <laughs> So it has to be that sort of, high level grade stuff and that particularly on the residential and they'll create it if necessary they'll drive that by appointing the right sort of builders the right sort of materials etc but and, and that's another thrust that ha- is misunderstood again in the marketplace a, a lot of people just see it as cost right <laughs> rather than there's a, for sure there's an initial cost but what you've got to factor in is a repayment period and, and where we, you, we're going to in the future so um, I, I think um, mistakenly, some people think that having something that's a bit old and a bit cheaper is going to be good for the future. 
that might be for certain amount of investors, but not for the mainstream. Yeah, I, I think actually the, the whole the whole movement around ESG investing, in my mind, in you know certainly I, I agree with you. A couple of years ago, um, it was always seen as a cost impediment. Can we afford to do it now? Actually, you just can't access certain funding if you don't yeah. tick these boxes. But in the marketplace, I'm still seeing an element of, of box ticking, and one of the big sources of frustration for me is around you know. ESG is the environmental social governance. And yeah. yet all of the focus is on sustainability and the environmental. And actually, I think that if we were to focus um, on not just the governance, but particularly the social, social element, yeah. I think that would actually, it, it would open up a broader conversation around placemaking that would help people to understand and welcome the benefits of our asset classes like built rent and other. I, I think that we haven't put enough focus on social and and governance, but particularly on social. Um, and the last, certainly the last 24 months, all of the drivers have been around sustainability. And the yeah. reality is we know that actually the community are looking for sustainability as well. And not just the residential community, your, your, your commercial teams, your corporate teams. So even around offices, we know that there's a huge amount of work there and there's, there's a huge benefit to be unlocked in, in, in engaging with the commercial occupiers of business parks and business yeah. districts. That, that hasn't been done in Ireland yet. I'm, I'm reading so many exciting and inspiring examples from outside of Ireland. I, I'm not seeing that done very well anywhere in Ireland. Am I? No, I, I sometimes, and forgive me if I, I sometimes think there's like um, a return to normality and that normal, normality is a normality of 10, 15 years ago rather than a normality of what today needs to be. So I, I, I think the dialogue isn't happening really, Carol. They, they just return to the business parks, et cetera, don't think outside the box on a lot of the um, issues. And I think there needs to be more, to be honest, uh, to be fair, that's, uh, I'm not being unduly critical. I think there needs to be more um, lateral thinking with a lot of the, these people. There's no reason why um, you can't have a properly sourced, affordable housing mixed use scheme altogether with, with lifestyle enhancements that, you know, serves the whole community. I think one of the one of the words that you, you miss, actually, is community. Um, if you have a look where some of the business parks are, there's, it's just literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's no sense of community. I think thinking about where, where you have businesses located should be where people are living as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think... I, I think that's a really important one. Actually, I was down in West Clare this weekend and I had to drive to find uh, the office of a charity that's involved in tree planting and things like this. And actually, when I used the GPS to find it, it is literally um, next to the offices of the Cliffs of Moor. And um, there's, you know, maybe 10 or 12 what look like lockups um, yeah. in this in this park in the middle of the country. So you're driving past farms, down laneways, past farms to get to it. Um, and actually, th that's something that a couple of years ago I might have been critical of, where it's actually I can see that this is a great way to let industry thrive within mm -hmm. the heart of the community. Um, and it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting setup, not one you come across. But, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a great point you're making around community and where we're centering businesses. But it 
it almost leads back to a point you made at the start of the interview here where you talked about people are talking about going back yeah. to the office. We're not really doing it yet. And because no. of that, investors are taking a bit of a back seat and taking a wait and see approach. We're hearing about this mass res- resignation. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I mm. haven't seen any of the stats on that. So everything we know at the moment is pretty anecdotal um, yeah. around that. But we do know that people's attitudes have changed. How they want sure. to live and work has changed. For sure. And I, I think actually, Carol, I think um, it, it, it'll change for the better in some ways because there's there's certain there's certain organisations that are already thinking for <laughs> to be appealing to everybody. <laughs> so you're going to have the hybrid worker, you're going to have the worker from home, and you're going to have the full time uh, office based worker. And there's um, certain companies that have already designed their um, projects in their commercial space to have each of those criteria and each obviously not the working from home but certainly the, the capability for hot desk for those people should they want to come into the office etc so what what is very commonly referred to as flexible working space now i can see a lot of commercial developers sort of making their offering more tuned into that because there's more value to be extracted from that because you've got it started um but it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that's going to pad out because nobody's thinking like that. A, lo- a lot of people are thinking, oh, we need to build a 10-floor uh, block of commercial offices and uh, on 15-year leases like we've always done. And to be honest, that's not going to happen. It yeah. is, people are just not into signing for a 15-year lease on a, 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 an office space. These, these things are changing rapidly. What you're finding maybe is that you'll find people will sign up to renewable two-year leases and things like that, where they, they, they'll have a shorter-term lease, but they're more likely to stay for the longer term. But how are building owners and operators going to, you know, there needs to be structural change then on the financing side of it to accommodate? Absolutely. To, to, to organise it, they, they need to, yeah, this might sound strange, but they need to think a bit like a BTR operator because they're, they're those guys, what they deal with, is a lot of uh, short-term rentals, a lot of cash churn because they get paid weekly, monthly. You, you can structure the whole finance setup to be more like that at the base level and then at the longer term at the more traditional level. But you need to be fully aware of how your cash is playing out throughout the life of the asset. Um, so you, you, what I'm going to say is that you're going to get quite a lot of income generation from a scheme like that. Um, the the yields should push up as well, you know. Into I mean, but I mean, become better for the investor and me uh, over time. So um, it's about it, it is change. It's about understanding the marketplace that you're in. It's understanding your cash flows and it's understanding your tenants and their requirements. That's key. Key understanding what people want in the first place. Yeah. So, so you, you need to understand the marketplace you're in, not the marketplace that you want it to be. You know, but I think it's really important to point out here is that actually I'm not sure consumers of of these spaces know exactly what they want and what their teams want yet. I think that's still unfolding. It's still evolving. It's a little bit like if we were having this conversation Mm. 18 months ago, everybody was loving co-working or sorry, everyone was loving working from home. And then 
you know, 12 months ago, people were getting pretty sick of that. And yeah. we need to come back to the office. And then another 18 months, you know, after lockdown, we were seeing that start, people start to settle into a routine. So actually, I still think it's too early for teams to know these requirements. Yeah, Carol, I, I agree with you. It's too early to know. But what, all I'm saying is that I think you have to, you have to be a bit of a, um, you have to think forward. Because it, it, that's why I'm saying if you've got a, a flexible office uh, based solution you're going to be more attractive to more people um so d- don't cut off any of your supplies what i'm saying <laughs> yeah no absolutely absolutely and actually that brings us to something really interesting some really interesting cpds that you're delivering through the SESI in yeah. ireland right now repurposing asset classes and um, that's a really hot topic at the moment given the level of vacancy and dereliction and everything um that's right. How does that work? Uh, well, um, essentially what's happening is if you've got some old commercial properties or, or whatever, um, uh, even retail properties, and they're not performing, um, and for whatever reason they're not performing, you, a lot of people are looking to re- uh, repurpose those as predominantly residential. Um, it's quite quite interesting to note this is... Um, this is a European-wide thing. It's not just limited to Ireland or the UK. Um, it's very much um, because commercial operations and particularly in city centres and localities are, are becoming um, unattractive. <laughs> maybe that maybe the the thing uh, uh, maybe harsh. And also the retail sector has been decimated in terms of um, well, certainly not just COVID, but over time i think that more and more people have been turning towards the online offerings and um so the traditional retail outlets probably not um you know following the market i would say so so all i'm saying is that investors themselves are looking to push their funds that they've got in commercial and retail into new asset classes if they have an opportunity to repurpose any of those assets as new assets that they're going to take it Quite a lot of the Irish planning laws are very favourable to change of use. So particularly if you're changing it to residential, there's there's going to be um, a limited amount of resistance to a lot of that in various places. So I think that that's on the cards. I, I would also say that, that they're very interested in doing any of the um, <laughs> any of the things we talked about before, data centres, logistics, all that sort of thing. So if they've got a a retail part that they convert into a logistics park, happy days. That's what they'll do because the, the, there's more value there. But um, it, one document I would uh, say would be very, very interesting to read is the Urban Land Institute and the PricewaterhouseCoopers Emerging Trends in Real Estate. They they produce this every year, and the 2022 edition is, is very, very um persuasive in what is happening in people's mindset in repurposing assets. I think it's not being talked about, it's being done. And if you have a look on the um, the list of what's in the top 10, it's predominantly residential and what, what would be considered to be more alternative. You know, uh, one, one thing you'd think would be <laughs> the most sensible thing to be investing retirement living, you know, so... That's in the, the top 10 because the population is getting older and hanging around for longer. 
um, and it's to provide that assisted living as well. So there's there's a whole load of factors that people are, are looking for longevity of uh, income producing um, assets. You know, actually, we never talk about retail enough on this show. And only in the last couple of days, I read a Forbes article about how Gen Z is driving growth in new shopping formats, but that retailers either they're not listening or they don't know how to adapt to these changing needs. But, um, you know, it's really interesting to see how consumer trends are jumping ahead of of the offering. And these are not, you know, these are not necessarily traditional offerings. These are some of the more experiential and some of the more forward thinking um, offerings. Yet they just can't keep pace with how quickly consumers' attention and and demands um, are changing. So I, I think it's a really important one. I'll definitely include um, in the podcast information here, I will include a list to that report you referenced. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't read it myself, so but it sounds interesting. The ULI, um, the it's, Urban It's Island really good. It's um, very much an international flavour, Carol, you know, yeah. really. Um, so I, I suppose in terms of the CPDs that you were offering, what was the main takeaway, say, for, and again, I know you're looking at the European perspective, but say for the Irish marketplace, I mean, are we are we looking at doing this on large scale or kind of small scale? Are we looking at targeting space over shops and that kind of vacancy, or is it all large scale at the moment? I, I, I think it may be large scale initially, but it, it might, because um, I think there's always a place for your um, bespoke, bijou, retail outlet, outlet and, the, and the village outlet if you know what I mean it's a, it's a community service rather than a, a retail um, outlet if you know what I mean um, so there's a, there's a different type of status there but certainly um, uh, one of the things I would say about Ireland as well in terms of the investment it, it's like you've got German investors and French investors leaning heavily into the marketplace and wanting to extract value so they, they might be really looking to get some of these assets for next to nothing to convert them. And um, have we made that, uh, has Ireland made that attractive enough for overseas investors? I think it has, um, because just, uh, I was reading the other day about a survey of who's who's investing in Ireland, and I, I was a bit taken aback. I was quite surprised that there was, um, it, it's, it's becoming very, very investable um, for a variety of reasons. I think the fact that they can pick up some of the assets in the first place. In Europe, there's a big fight going for any particular asset coming up for grabs. In in Ireland, uh, if you can identify the asset, you can pretty much secure it because a lot of these funds have the weight of the money without the competition in investing in it. So it makes it very interesting. But how important then are our policy regimes and even the certainty of our policy regimes because so much has been in flux over the last three to four years well i I, that's true i i agree with that but i think the stuff they tend to invest in is 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 pretty solid and future proof from their perspective so what you'll see is a massive surge of investment into btr schemes into student accommodation and they will start investing into the um repurposed vehicles if they see they've always got an eye for a bargain you see so yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's a fair point yeah okay and um, 
Vincent, thank you so much for joining us today and taking us through that. Again, you know, these are conversations that are really just unfolding and I hope we'll be able to touch base again in another few months just to talk about this and to see which of those trends are really moving forward and which the the um, investment community is getting behind. Um, so for now, um, thank you so much for joining us. That was Vince Harney, CEO of Anasorian. And we need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Green Councillor Oshin O'Connor filed a motion with Delirium at Down County Council to remove a site in Kiltiernan from the Strategic Land Reserve. So, Tom, just from the point of view of listeners, what is the Strategic Land Reserve? Well, it's a, a piece of land that would be put by for future development plans and would be considered for rezoning then. Um, but sure, all land uh, would be considered in any future development plan. But by highlighting this piece, um, would certainly put up the value of land because people would think this is the next piece of land that's going to be rezoned. We don't know what the need for land will be uh, within the next uh, two or three development plans. And the development plan lasts for approximately six years. It's, this development plan we're making at the moment is from 2022 to 2028. Okay. Uh, the, the planning regulator already has said that we have plenty of land zoned within the Within Tulliri. Within Tulliri or down. Mm. He's made a strategic reserve down near Old Connor because that's going to be a development area yeah. alongside Bray there as well. It'll be serviced close to uh, a Lewis and of course, you know, it'll have Bray Town Centre nearby, but it'll also have its own facilities within the development area as well. Okay. And that's the only reserve that was uh, put in by the regulator. Uh, they asked the county council to do this. It was part of the, I think, the regional planning uh, yeah, guidelines. It's yeah. the regional authority as well. So we abided by that. And even even there was, you know some worries by councillors about making this as well that we didn't we felt we didn't need it yeah. and then when um, it was put forward that other areas should be done as well we just felt this was wrong the planners are against it and I'm sure the planning regulator will be against it um, and uh, that's why we're seeking to take it out I guess uh, how does the Social Democrats stand on this one you're against as well are you? Uh, I, I voted against it in October mm. it was uh, it was proposed last October, um, uh, unusually. Um, it was a motion from the floor, as it's called, which meant that it, it uh, arose uh, on the night. Uh, it was not deemed to be part of the, of the requirements in terms of the strategic land reserve. Uh, by definition, the strategic reserve is, is, is something that's put in place just in case. And to have an additional uh, separate piece of land uh, added to that reserve without due consideration, without due planning uh, by, the, by, the, uh, by, the, by the experts in the field, uh, it wasn't, to my mind, deemed appropriate to, to simply overnight uh, give this allocation to this uh, stretch of land. Now, where, where in Kiltiran is this particular stretch of land? Uh, I understand it's to the, on the west side of the Enniskerry Road. And is it, is, it a, is, it a, is it a very big site or, or how much how long does it stretch? For I think it's 20 acres. 20 acres about, I think. For apartment and, and well, a mixed mix use. Well, well no, this isn't zoning now. This is yes. simply 
Uh, oh, a reserve, uh, yeah. yes. Okay. Giving it an allocation of strategic land reserve. It's like outline planning nearly, you know, yeah. you can get outline planning for a house. Uh, this is kind of like a little bit like that. It's, it's So it's long term. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of long term saying that we're preserving this piece of land. Um, but the problem is when you do that with land, um, it affects values of land as well, you know. Okay. Uh, an acre of agricultural land, which it is at the moment, is probably... Ten or twenty thousand. So, estate agents would would see the land appreciating as a result of that. Uh-huh. Usually, yes. Yeah, yes. like yes. zoning confers a real uplift in the capital value of land, yeah. no matter where you do it. And if we go back to the late eighties and nineties and all of that uh, problem with uh, corrupt planning and so on, uh, you know, there was, let's say, money changing hands to get land. Uh, up zoned. This is back 20 years ago, I suppose. Back 30 years ago. Right. You remember with yeah. Trevor Sargent and yeah. uh, when he exposed the corruption that was going on and, in and Dublin that's, that's City Council. And that's a legacy of this, No, I'm not saying it's a legacy of this, but uh, what I'm saying is land uh, zoning is really important. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Right? Sure, and sure. when you do a land zoning, you've, uh, you know, there's... There's a temptation people will always put in to get their land rezoned because if you get your land rezoned, you could become a millionaire overnight. Mm -hmm. And all of that is, is with a stroke of a pen, you're changing the designation of that land. Okay. And when was this particular um, piece put in to the, uh, voted on in the council originally? It was just proposed in October. October. For for the strategic land reserve. Yes. Correct. But uh, uh, sorry, okay. Let, well, uh, who who uh, who put it forward and who? who uh, it was proposed and seconded by uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil councillors. Okay, now it's a shame we don't have anyone in here to discuss yeah. that. Then. But, but Brian, I, th- I think the important thing to 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 bear in mind is that there is plenty of land in that area already zoned, zoned. and not yet developed. So, uh, we we I'd hoped have he obviously isn't here for this yeah. discussion. What can you tell us? What their logic was in terms of of putting this forward? No, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I don't see the logic in it. The planners don't see the logic in it. The planners don't. Yes, the planners don't. And remember, the planners are looking at all the statistics that comes from the census. We'll be doing a census next month again, yeah. looking at the growth that's needed in, in housing and so on, and where it's going to go, what the infrastructure needs are and so on. And they don't see a need for this at the moment. Uh, and probably they wouldn't see a need for it in the next development plan either. So they have said uh, they they went against this and we supported them in that. But um, there was a majority, a very small majority uh, to do this. And within hoping, Fine Gael, Fine Fall. Within Fine Gael, Fine Fall and a couple of independents as well. Yeah, right. you know. Yeah. So I, I think you said off air that there's going to be a vote on this on on. Did, were you saying on Monday night there's going to be some... Uh, it, it'll, no, be on, it, it'll be on Wednesday night. Wednesday, Wednesday, excuse night. me, Wednesday yeah, night. There will be. And the, could, you, could you tell us what's, what's going to happen? Is there a motion put down to remove it? Is, is that yes, the idea? there's a motion to put down to remove it, the, 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 the special zoning on it, and to leave it as it is, which is just basically agricultural land or open space. And um, I know my party's putting one. I think there's another party putting another. I think maybe the Labour Party is putting into it as well. So there will be, coming from two parties, there will be a motion coming on it. And I'm sure Dave and some of the others will support it as well too. Absolutely. If they want to put their names to it, we're happy with that too as well. Sure. And and tell me, what is the... 
what is the prospect of it of it uh, being put down of of it being of you your guys uh, of the uh, motion surviving um I, I think the 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 planners will make a very strong case that this isn't included um we could be all making you know special areas if we wanted we could do that in the whole county but there is a structured way that planning should be done and it's important that we plan our communities. But a haphazard attitude to planning is not the way we should go. We had that right through the 60s, 70s and 80s. Didn't benefit this country. And we need a more structural way of planning for the future. But to get uh, back to it. Wednesday night, are the numbers stacking up at the moment? Or? I, I think they might. It'll be, it'll be tight. It'll be uh, tight. Brian, it could go either way, I'd yeah. say. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's important to remember that there are existing lands zoned already yeah. for development, a lot of which is simply not yet developed. Yeah. We are coming down with planning applications that have been approved, but not yet uh, actually undertaken by the developers. There already is land already zoned that is not yet uh, subject to planning application. There already is a strategic land reserve in place, even if that uh, need is is exceeded in terms of the demand. So uh, we, we don't need this. Uh, it, it is, as Tom says, it's an unstructured method by which um, uh, uh, th- th- this is being proposed and I don't think it's appropriate. Hmm. Just before we wrap up on this, um, since you're talking about planning applications, because it's well known that there's a, a major housing, well, from the point of view of price, I suppose, hmm. really, in the county. Projection-wise, um, <clears throat> are there enough applications going in to serve the county for, for say, the next 20 or 30 years? Yes, I, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. I live in Cherrywood, where there's a huge development going on yeah. at the moment, and in excess of 10,000 new households will be created there. We probably have somewhere in the region throughout the county enough land zoned to build 30,000 new uh, households within the county. Um and if you take there's 80,000 households within the country, that's increasing the, the number of households by 40%. So that's a massive increase in household uh, numbers within the county. And is there any, any way that that supply will bring down the price of property within the uh, county, would you think? I'm afraid, Brian, the chances of prices coming, <laughs> coming down, down. <laughs> uh, are between slim and none. Uh, the best I think anybody can hope for yeah. is that the price remains stable. Yeah. Um, at least not increasing at the rates of 10, 15% as they are at the yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. which is, well, that which is, is a supply problem, which, which is criminal. It? Hmm. it is a supply problem. And, and uh, as, as Tom says, there, there's a huge volume of planning applications yeah. already approved. Um, and we need to try to push on and having, uh, have those actually hmm. built. The, the problems with supply of builders, hmm. labor, material cost increases. They're all huge issues which are not being dealt with by the government mm. on, yes, a, on a well, national basis. Uh, okay, well, that's mm. another issue altogether. Yeah, well, yeah. Do you want to address that point? There is a problem there. And when, you, when you talk to builders, and I was just talking to a small builder that does uh, um, extensions and everything like that, and he's saying the cost of getting staff at the moment, even somebody just yeah. doing general work and sweeping up and clearing up yeah, afterwards, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, it's 50, 60 grand it is he's been asked to pay. Yeah. Uh, the prices that joiners and plumbers are asking for is huge, he says. He says, 
uh, they're all making more money than I am in the business, he says. Um, and that's adding greatly to the cost. Materials have also increased in price as well. And well, that's through global yeah, inflation, isn't it? Yeah. Which, which we know, we've got no control yeah, over. Yeah, and that's, you know, the price of fuel and everything like that is driving that as well. Energy yeah. costs are driving that too. But, you know, at the end of the day, property will hit a max because people won't be able to afford it anymore. And it's getting to that stage again, as it did back in 2006. And the market will just stop because, you know, if you take the average industrial wage of 45, 40 grand, 45 grand and three and a half times that, you can get nothing. You won't even get a garage in Dublin for that. And that's a problem. Um, and the price of property has to fall. And I would say we could be looking at if the world economy is upset by what's happening in the East at the moment, we could see another crash again if we're not very careful. That was Councillor Dave Quinn, Social Democrats, and Councillor Tom Kilvehan, Green Party, both sitting on Dunhira Town County Council. And that's it from Property Matters this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to Luke Delaney and Peter Peter Rice was on sound. We'll be back at the same time next week.